0: Of the Lord is worthy, and we are uh, grateful today that we can be here together and uh, to worship like this. Um, over the last several weeks, we've been thinking through what the Scriptures have to say to us about the life of discipleship, what it means to to know Jesus and to place our our trust in Him, and then to begin following Him. Uh, and, and last, over the last several weeks related to that, we've talked a lot about the gospel been talking about the story of Jesus and and thinking about what what the scriptures have to say to us about being a people who are formed by the good news that the story of Jesus really is good news and so being a a good news people being a gospel formed people that's where we've been spending our time and uh, and last week we looked at the scriptures and we looked at in particular uh, a, a place or two in the book of Acts where it talks about the Apostle Paul and how he makes the gospel a verb. And that's really interesting because you can read through in Acts and you can read and, and, and find these places where Paul or, or Paul and Barnabas or his companions they're talking about the gospel, they're sharing the gospel, and so the gospel is used quite often as, as a noun, just as kind of a, a summary again of this, this good news message that we find in the pages of the scriptures. But but there are certain places where the term gospel is actually used not only as a noun, but it's used as a verb, and that just really fascinates me. One of those places that we talked about is this passage from Acts chapter 14, where it says that Paul and Barnabas, they, literally, they gospeled. <laughs> they not only shared the good news, but there was this, this embodiment of good news. They gospeled as they shared that message with other people now paul understands probably better than most some of the nuances of the gospel he understands how all of those scriptures all of those passages that are in the old testament how they find their way they find fulfillment in the person and ministry of jesus so paul he, he understands that, but Paul also does something that I find really fascinating. He doesn't just share the story about Jesus when he gospels. He doesn't just go through all the facts of the story. No, what you find Paul doing is repeatedly, as he shares the good news message of Jesus, he shares his own story as well. So if you read through Acts, which is just Luke's follow-up to his gospel, you find Luke recording the, the conversion of Saul, The moment where he sees Jesus and he realizes that he's wrong. He's been persecuting Christians, dragging them out of their homes, taking their lives. And this encounter with Jesus changes and, and transforms Saul. You know, he, literally his name changes. He, he drops Saul and becomes instead Paul. But his mission changes. His entire worldview changes. Because again, as we've been saying for weeks... When it comes to the gospel, it is about being changed, being transformed by our proximity to Jesus. So you read that story in Acts chapter 9, it is, it is held up by Luke as kind of the, the ultimate example of discipleship. Here's what happens when Jesus gets a hold of you, we might say. Here, here, here's what happens when we see Jesus for who he really is. But then in that same record, in the book of Acts, not only is that story told in Acts chapter 9, but you find Paul himself in his preaching and in his teaching, he keeps coming back and telling that same story again. He does it in Acts chapter 22, and he does it in Acts chapter 26. So three times, if we were just to pick up the book of Acts and read it from cover to cover, you'd walk away thinking, wow, that, that story is really important, and, and it is, but, but it's important because it's our story because it is an expression of 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 good news that paul was was out here living a life that was just diametrically opposed to the will of god and yet by the graciousness of jesus his life is altered and transformed so much so that he becomes one of the great emissaries for the name of jesus His life is transformed and changed. So when Paul gospels people, it's no surprise that we see him weaving all those nuances, all those scriptures, all of that history of Israel into his own personal story. Not just Paul, Simon, Peter. We looked at a few examples last week. But that's, that's interesting because the gospel isn't simply history. It's not simply theology. The gospel is deeply personal. And so we see on the pages of scripture gospel becoming autobiography in the life of the Apostle Paul, in the life of Simon Peter, and I believe in the lives of believers even to this very day. So to gospel is to share the story of Jesus, we would say, in all of its fullness, but to do so by also telling your personal story as well. And that's a really important point, I think, for us as we think about what it means to be disciples today, as we think about what it means for us to share the good news with a a culture that that i believe is really hungry for some good news so it means being conversant about the story of jesus but it also means sharing how that story has impacted my life and your life that is one of the greatest tools for sharing the gospel that we have just the power of our own stories now i'll grant you paul's story is pretty dramatic you know He's out here living one way and then the, has this blinding light experience of Jesus on the road to Damascus and he shifts and, and kind of becomes again an, an apostle, an evangelist and you may think, well man, my, my story doesn't really compare to Paul's, how could my story be a gospel story? But here's the thing, if your story is a Jesus story, if you're a Christian, if you're following Christ, then I believe your message, your story is a gospel story. Your story is a good news story. Because it doesn't matter if we're out here killing Christians or committing some other sin. According to the scriptures, we were all dead in our sins and our transgressions before we came to know Jesus Christ. But hallelujah, praise God, through Christ we have now found life and liberty and love and the fruit of the Spirit and all of these things we've been talking about here for so long. It's a powerful, powerful message when we go out into our community and gospel in the name of jesus christ paul says something kind of similar over in uh first thessalonians chapter 2 he says this to those believers he says he's affectionately desirous of you so much so that we were ready not only just to share the gospel of god with you but but this part too but also our own selves because you had become so very dear to us and earlier in the same letter that you see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he says this, that the gospel came to these believers not only in word. He so said, we didn't just come and like share the, the facts of the story with you. The gospel didn't come only in word, but he says this, it came also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul says that the gospel is not just some abstraction. You know, it's not just some old story that's detached from the reality of our lives no he says that that story came alive in his interactions with the Thessalonians as he gospels them that gospel message comes alive it comes alive with power and with the Holy Spirit and with conviction because Paul and his companions didn't simply just share the story of Jesus with them they shared their very lives as well So as we think about sharing the gospel, as we think about being disciples, being formed by the gospel and then sharing the gospel, we think about being disciples who are then making disciples, all this comes into play. This message, this this good news story of Jesus and how it has impacted our own lives. You see that right there on the pages of the scriptures. So my question for you after we kind of worked through some of that, and some of that's a little bit of a review from where we were, but, but also expanding on that with those other scriptures. The question I would want you to think about is, who has gospeled you? In your life, could you point to people, again, who've, who've made the gospel more than just a story? They've made the gospel a verb in your life. Who has gospeled you? Who has shown you what a life of discipleship really looks like? Who is the, the, the person Who has been the most spiritually formative in a a positive way in your life could you identify someone or or a certain group of people for me I don't have to look very far when I go back in my story I think about my parents faithful believers faithful followers of Christ you know some of my earliest memories growing up they, they would be at nighttime before bed and they're reading to me stories from from this little children's picture bible i still have a copy of it it's fallen apart and you, know, you can hardly touch it without pages falling out but it is like one of the most precious things that i have because it brings back all those memories of my parents sharing the story of jesus with me but but more than that i think to a, a few key moments i think about a time when for my mother she showed me the gospel came alive for me she gospelled me my mother was a, a public school educator for her entire career Uh, Oftentimes uh, in in my my, uh, elementary school years, I remember uh, just killing countless hours on the playground after school because my mom had a faculty meeting or she had papers to grade or or whatever. And uh, I would actually drive past three or four schools that I I was zoned to go to to actually attend the school where my mother uh, would teach. She taught in in, um, kind of the the low-income school, for lack of a better term, in our community. And so uh, I remember pretty clearly after school one day kind of waiting around waiting around and, and we go out to the car and my, my mom has one of her students uh, with her and I, re- I remember, remember thinking you know, you know what, like what is this and she says you know this is, this is Johnny or whoever and we, we're going to take him home today um, no one came to pick him up and I remember kind of sulking and griping because you know I was ready to go home I was ready to watch TV, I was ready to go play Nintendo, do like all the things I really had to do that afternoon, you know, this is such a big inconvenience for me, and so I just remember kind of sulking in the back, he even got my seat in the front seat of the car, I was like, now who is this dude, think he is, you know, got to sit in the back seat, I don't get to go play Super Mario Brothers, you know, I was just totally put out, and so we dropped him off, Uh, he lived in the, the public housing development just adjacent to the school, we dropped him off. I got out, got in the car, slammed the door, you know, and I start in, uh, griping, complaint, you know, your kids probably don't do that, um, but uh, we were just kind of went in like, why are we doing this? It's is ridiculous. Why can't somebody else come pick him up? It's not my fault. People forget this silly kid. You know, I was just saying just terrible things, you know. My mom never, like, took the bait, but she just, she replied to me just in, like, a real succinct kind of calm, always calm, you know, like, this really calm kind of, she said, jason i just want you to know we took him home today because it's what the lord would want us to do and you know my mother's long since passed away and i probably never got the opportunity to tell her just how formative that was but man she gospeled me in that moment she probably had been saying things like that a hundred times knowing just you know kind of my Perspective and my attitude at that time in my life. You know, she's probably looking for any teachable moment to say that. I bet she had said that a dozen times, but it was something about those circumstances and that opportunity, she said it that way, and man, she gospeled me, and it was like one of those moments where I got it, you know? Like, I got it. That's what all this means. All this, like, going to church, is not, we're not just kind of wasting our time. All those Bible stories, they're not just, like, great ways to, kill 20 minutes before bedtime right no this this is this actually means something she gospeled me and i got it uh, earlier this week one of our shepherds bob Reeder, had uh had surgery to get some staph infection cleaned up out of his knee so they went in the day before kind of did a little pre-admitting kind of deal and uh, his wife cindy uh, called me and told me about this they said while they were there this this young lady came in and said hey can i just drop something off for you all and they said well, sure and they didn't know you know what this was all about so the lady just handed her two cards and then walked out and Bob and Cindy were like what do we you know what do we do with these cards and so here they are it just says for you, <laughs> you know, kind of random so they open it up and just a little note I don't know if you can see that uh, or, or not but uh, the notes say be strong looks like be you strong I'm pretty sure that's be strong okay be strong and then the other one says you are worthy these are just notes that that Some people had written up encouraging notes to drop off with patients prior to surgery. And before Bob and Cindy got to say anything at all to this young lady, she was out the door. But when Cindy called me, and she, she said, you know, okay, I got to tell you, I think we've been gospeled today. And I said, yeah, I, I think, I think you've been gospeled. Uh, just real quickly, all that's the idea behind this Love Your Neighbor uh, Day next week. Logan's already kind of reminded us uh, of that. Uh, next Sunday we want to do some things like this. we want to make the gospel a verb okay that's why we've been talking about this uh, we want to we want to take this message of Jesus and, and, and flesh it live it out in our community so there's there's kind of two components to this i let just walk through this real quickly and then we'll we'll, uh, we'll wrap up uh one is sort of a large-scale project that we have going on and joe's mentioned it to us a couple of weeks in a row now you can see in the back of the room we even have some of these things that are laid out there but uh, we will have bags that will be ready to be distributed uh, to the poor in our community next sunday uh, those bags will be put together this wednesday night in this room at 5 p.m we have uh, some of our teens are going to help us do that you're invited to come bring your family and help as well if you'd like but next week, we'll have those bags available, and we're going to ask you to take a couple of those bags um, and keep them in your car, and as opportunity arises, we'll, we'll be praying for opportunities to share that with, uh, uh, with some, of some people here in our community. Uh, our team that's been kind of working through this and leading this effort, they have uh, been in touch with some homeless shelters in our community to find out what items need to go in those bags and so they'll have some non-perishable food items be some things like socks and and other things that'll go in there we're also going to put a bible in those bags as well okay so uh so we're praying that those bags would be an expression of good news uh to the poor in our community so that's kind of the large scale thing that's going on that's something we're asking all of you to take a couple of those we did something very similar to this uh, not very long ago uh, a couple months back so uh, so that's, that's one piece of this. But as Logan also said, there, uh, it's also a great day for some smaller scale projects to be undertaken. And so that's why we've been communicating with your class leaders, with your life group leaders and, and ministry leaders, just to be thinking about some different things uh, that might be able to go on in, in your community, reaching out to, to again, our, our neighbors, making the gospel a verb. Uh, but smaller scale doesn't mean lesser impact, not at all. Uh, that's not the case here at all, uh, according to Jesus. Something as small as a cup of cold water given in his name can have kingdom impact. So that's what we're thinking about, what we're praying about. Here are a few, uh, just some of the things that, that some of our people are doing that day. Uh, I know two of our families are hosting a cookout in their neighborhood. Uh, they're doing this just as a way of getting to know their neighbors. And they thought, okay, love your neighbor day. We don't even know our neighbors. Uh, we won't do a show of hands, but there's probably several of you, you know, maybe you kind of feel the same way. I, I don't even know the people who actually live right Around me, So they worked up this little flyer, they passed it out, and they're just hoping that night to get to know their neighbors, to just get to, uh, get to put some faces with names and maybe hear some of, the, some of their stories. I know another group that is helping uh, a lady that they know as she prepares to move into an assisted living facility. Uh, I know another group that is going to be preparing some freezer meals to be delivered uh, to someone in their neighborhood. Uh, who's, who's recently gone through a divorce, and is at kind of a low point, so they want to go prepare these meals and uh, spend some time with that individual. Um, these projects don't have to be necessarily carried out on that day. I know our teens are doing something that later on that week, they're going to be going down to uh, one of the elementary schools here, uh, Ridgecrest Elementary School, and, and working there as well. One of my friends they did this in their church, and uh, he said, you know, the only thing we could think of um, with our kids, they have very, very young children, they said, we just thought we'd do, um, you know, we talked to our kids about it, and they wanted to set up a lemonade stand in their neighborhood and give out free lemonade, and so he was like, "I, I mean, I guess that applies, right? I mean, let's love your neighbor, so he took the kids out there, put the, you know, little table up, had the free lemonade, and he said, it was crazy, the people who would stop and talk just because they had cute kids out there with lemonade, you know? It's like Norman Rockwell or something, you know, it's just like Americana, so they, people would stop and talk, and, and uh, he said, everybody, people that normally, like, wouldn't even look at us as they're driving by, you know, 90 miles an hour through the neighborhood, they would stop, and actually, oh, you've got cute kids, you know, he's a grumpy old guy down the street who doesn't like anybody, he actually came out and spent some time with him, he said it was fantastic, and there were people who came by, and they wanted to, they, they insisted on paying for the lemonade, and my friend was like, are you seriously? This costs nothing, you know, but they're like, you know, here's, here's a $20 bill, son, you know, keep it up, just in, encouraging some capitalism, I guess, and so they wanted to like pay and give the kids some money, and a little entrepreneur, and so, uh, which, is, which is fantastic, but they decided, okay, now we've got, we've got a couple hundred bucks, what do we do? So they took that with the kids, took it to church, and donated it to their church's mission program. It's just like a simple little thing, and you see what God, what God did with that. I hope you'll be thinking of some, some things that You and your family, you and your groups, whatever groups you're a part of around here, some things you can do next week to help make uh, the gospel a verb. Jesus says if we're going to make the gospel a verb, we have to do this. We have to take up our cross, and we have to follow him. He says this in Luke chapter 9. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, keyword, and follow me. You know, everything we've been talking about in this series, um, knowing Jesus and trusting Jesus, following Jesus, uh, Christ-likeness, making the gospel a verb, all of it, it all comes uh, with a cost. According to, uh, to, to what Jesus says here, there's this cost associated with discipleship. And from this point on in Luke's gospel, Jesus really ratchets up the intensity of the discipleship language. It begins in Luke chapter 9, and then as he makes his way to Jerusalem, and that culminates in Luke chapter 19, we have all all of these chapters where Jesus just preaches and teaches on discipleship, more so than any other section uh, in Luke's gospel. And according to Jesus, he says that discipleship is a life of death. Think about it. Discipleship is a life of death. If anyone would come after me, he needs to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's this dying to self that is associated with following Jesus. As we've been saying about, you know, for, for weeks now, discipleship is a life centered on the lordship of Jesus. That means he won't let us live any old way that we want to, right? To talk about his lordship means that we cede control over to him. We look to Jesus for our cues, and so he says here, if you want to know what it means to be my disciple, it's this. It is to submit yourself to his authority. It is to put your life up under his life, trusting him as Lord, as Savior, as Messiah, as King. Jesus reiterates this uh, in a few, a few verses later in, in chapter 9, verse 44. He says, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Jesus wants the gospel to sink into the ears of his followers. He wants, it to, uh, uh, he wants them to fully absorb this idea. I, just, I think it's a, a funny way to say it. He wants the gospel to sink into their ears, but still, he wants them to fully absorb this idea. So he's teaching them about what must happen. So he tells the disciples to, to follow him, to take up their crosses uh, he tells them that he himself is going to do the same thing, that he has to go to Jerusalem. There he'll be flogged. There he'll be beaten. There he'll be turned over. The life that Jesus offers only comes through death. But the disciples struggle with that, just like we struggle with that sometimes. The disciples don't understand the point that Jesus is making, and they prove this by arguing. The Two verses later, it says that an argument arose among them as to which... Of them was the greatest imagine how frustrating that must have been for Jesus you know you're you're taking these closest followers and you're talking to them about the essence of the gospel that discipleship is a life of death and it has to do with the cross you take up your cross just as I'm about to take up my cross he's teaching them about the essential significance of what he's about to do and yet he comes back to them and what are they doing they're arguing over who among them is the greatest? I mean, do you even get like that? I, I try to picture that, you know? <laughs> you, you might think that you're better than other people, but to actually verbalize it, <laughs> you know? Like, man, you, what, what is going on that these disciples are having this open forum of like, well, clearly, you know, clearly I'm the best follower of Jesus, you know? You're probably eighth or ninth on the list, Andrew, you know, but clearly I'm number one. I mean, imagine how that conversation goes down and Jesus comes and he's trying to talk to them about taking up their cross, about pouring themselves out. Follow my example. You're going to see the full extent of the love of God while I'm hanging there on the cross and instead he finds them puffing out their chests and arguing about who is the greatest and so he brings this little child before them. And in the ancient world, they didn't have this, you know, this, this infatuation with uh, youth, kind of like we do. Uh, children were considered, you know, basically of little consequence until they could work in the fields and earn some money, you know. Otherwise, it was just a, a mouth to feed, you know. So he brings this child who's considered sort of the lowest of the low in their culture, and he puts them before them. And he, this, this totally dependent little being, and he says... He who is least among you is the one who is great. Basically, stop preaching your own greatness and just follow me. Children are dependent upon others for everything. Which is why Jesus uses a child to demonstrate our dependence upon the Father in heaven. And then Luke records another encounter I want us to look at before we wrap up today. Another encounter where the disciples missed the point. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him. Because, again, here's this phrase, his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and he rebuked them. Luke says twice here that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Just a way of saying that he's intensely focused on what must take place when he arrives there. He knows that he will be turned over to the Sanhedrin. Again, he knows he will be flogged, that he will be beaten, that he will die upon the cross, but he sets his face toward Jerusalem nonetheless. We can think of this journey to Jerusalem as a death march because Jesus is going to demonstrate and prove over and over again that discipleship is a life of death. And so as he makes this journey toward Jerusalem, he's going to teach more and more about discipleship because the disciples just don't get it. And Luke proves this with this little episode where they enter a Samaritan village. And Jesus is rejected and James and John are like, Jesus, do you want me to call down fire? Like, we will totally nuke these dudes if you want us to, you know? Like, where's the red button? I'm ready to push it, you know? And Jesus looks at them, and he re- it says that he rebukes them. And I don't know what that rebuke consisted of, but can you imagine? He's thinking, the message is going to be entrusted t- to you pretty soon, you know? That's why he teaches so much about discipleship. Luke 9 is a key passage on discipleship, and as we, as we wind down today, I just want to point out this. There, there are, are three different ways, I think, we see discipleship as a life of death in Luke chapter 9. I want you to think about this as we close. Maybe one of these will be, um, will be something that will speak to you. The first is this. Discipleship is a death death to self-indulgence because again jesus says deny yourself take up your cross and follow me you can't take up your cross when your hands are filled with your own indulgences right i mean we can't take up our crosses when our hands are so filled with that that gratification that we reach for so often I mean, that's a story as old as time. I mean, isn't that the story of the garden? Where there's this this one thing that Adam and Eve feel like, man, if we just had that, if I could just reach for that forbidden fruit, if I could fill my hands with that and eat that fruit, man, that would be real life. That would be so That's That's the one thing that our lives are missing, and Satan is just whispering that in their ear but when jesus comes along he says that the key to life is not through self-indulgence but it's found in laying down those impulses dying to those it says in philippians chapter 2 that even though he was in very essence god he did not consider equality with god something to be Do you remember this part something to be grasped It's almost like Paul is taking us all the way back to the garden. He's saying, remember when Adam and Eve reached for the fruit, just like you and I always reach for the fruit? He says, well, in Jesus, there's an unreaching. He undoes all of that because he won't grasp for the thing that he is by divine right entitled to. So that makes him the expert when he comes along then and says, okay, you want to know real life? Here it is. Deny yourself empty, whatever it is, lay down, let go of whatever it is that you want to cling to, you want to white knuckle that indulgent peace that you want to hold on to so dearly. Jesus says, let it go because it's killing you because it's not real life. And instead, once your hands are emptied of that, then take up your cross daily, he says, and follow me. So discipleship is a life of death and it begins here, a death To self indulgence. We no longer have to grasp for those things when we've centered our lives on Jesus. So today I would ask do you need to die to self indulgence, perhaps? Number two, discipleship is a death to self importance. As the disciples are are over here arguing about their greatness. Jesus, again, takes that small child, the most humble of beings, and he says, if you want to be great, be like this child. Understand that you live in full dependence upon God. How much does pride play a part in your story? Is self importance Maybe you know, maybe self-indulgence is not really, you know, maybe it's not the great challenge for you right now. But maybe a faulty view of yourself and where you slot in, you know, self-importance. If, if it can happen to James and John and Simon Peter who are in proximity to Jesus on a daily basis, how much more so should we be on guard to the dangers of self-importance and forgetting our place? You know, it is so easy in a culture like ours where everything is, is, is kind of predicated on and, and, and programmed around your preferences and what you want and how to to make, you know, you the centerpiece of all things. And yet, we're going to listen to Jesus. We're going to have to die to that sense of self-importance because he holds up a fully dependent child who doesn't think that she's all that important probably. He says, the greatest among you is like, is like this. Living in full Dependence. Upon God do you need to die to self-importance today and the last one is the trickiest one of all because death to self-indulgence and even death to self-importance that's kind of low-hanging fruit you know we've probably heard enough sermons many of us about the danger of sin that we know we got to lay down some of that stuff we, we know that we're not the center of all things that's God and so once we master all of that, here's the greatest threat of all sometimes, it's this, it's dying to the self-righteousness of knowing that we got it right, that we figured it out, that we've studied and shown ourselves approved. That's biblical and that's good, but man, that can lead to and foster some self-righteousness if we're not careful. James and John, they see they see people that they consider to be unrighteous, and because they don't accept Jesus, they're ready to say, hey, Lord, we're with you. We're, again, you ready to nuke them? Because that's all you've got to say. If Jesus doesn't correct them, they believe that because of their proximity to Jesus, they can actually do this, that they actually have the power to call down fire from heaven. Like, they actually believe that in their little tiny brains. They believe they've got that power. It's so easy to look at that and say, man, they missed the point. Until I realize all the ways that I'm willing to judge somebody who doesn't see things the way I see it. Because of my own self-righteousness. Because they're not as close to Jesus as I am. In my mind. Do you need to die today? To self-righteousness? I bet there's one of those three. That we need to die to today and today i would just have you hear these words as the last words jesus says if anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me to what do you need to die to today word is given in the name and the power of Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord who makes all things new. He 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 who has ears, let him hear. Let's stand together now.